morning, Coastal Church. Merry Christmas. Man, what a joy to sing with you. Do me a favor, get your Bible out. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. It's our gift to you. Uh, man, if you'll read it on a regular basis, it'll change your life. Uh, while you're kind of getting that out, you can take notes if you want to follow along. And I want to remind you on your way out today, uh, we have a photo booth over here on my right, your left. So if you and your family want to take a Christmas picture, make sure you get that as well. Okay, I'm going to do an adult version version of what Pastor Andrew did uh, with the kids, okay? I want you to give me one word that describes Christmas for you. Give me one word. <clears throat> what is it? Shout it out. Jesus. Jesus. Uh, church answer. All right. Yes, Jesus for sure. All right. What else? Family. Great. What else? Food. Oh, I love food. Yes, food. Uh, anybody else? What is it? Gatherings. What else? Presents, yes. I'm lo- Wait, what? Oh, stress. Same thing, presents and stress, same thing. So we all got that now, I get it. Okay, anybody else? One more. Peace, right? All right, how about this one? I'll give you one. This is what we're going to focus on this morning, ready? How about scandal? Do you ever think about scandal as part of the Christmas story? Well, it actually really is, especially for Mary and Joseph. Now, we have been unpacking uh, the unlikely Christmas uh, family or lineage of Jesus. So there's, for those of you who are kind of new to church, there's four gospels, there's four stories that give us windows into the life of Christ. And Matthew and Luke take time to give us the Christmas story, okay? And, uh, and so Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. And what's very important for the Jews in regards to the Messiah is that he, the Messiah would fulfill the, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant that God made with David. And so the author of Matthew actually does a, a, an ancestry.com, if you will, of the lineage of Christ, okay? And so we've been take, taking some of the characters in that genealogy that reminds us that God uses normal, broken people like you and I to display His glory, okay? So that's what we've been learning. Today, we're calling this the, uh, the, the story of Mary, but it's really the story of Mary and Joseph and the scandal that surrounded them in the birth of Jesus. So check this out, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, the betrothal is like our engagement, but only stronger. It actually took a legal document to, un- to break a betrothal. So when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from what, church? The Holy Spirit. It's very, very important. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken way in the past from a prophet, the prophet named Isaiah. Verse 23 is a quote from that prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let me pull a couple things out. I hope will encourage you and challenge you this morning. First of all, number one, this whole story is a scandal for Mary and Joseph. Betrothal is very, very similar to our engagement, but required, if you were going to break a, a betrothal, required a certificate of divorce. And according to the Old Testament, because Joseph had not known his, his wife or his betrothed Mary, when she turns up pregnant, he actually has the right by Old Testament law to put her to death. But because he's a kind man and he didn't want to put her to shame, he, he decided to divorce her quietly until an angel of the Lord shows up in a dream and says, listen, Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I want you to marry her, immediately take her as your wife. And Joseph, and here's a, a couple of remarkable things out of the story. The one thing that sticks out to me is that Joseph gets a dream in the middle of the night from the angel of the Lord. In this dream, he is told that Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And in this dream, he is told that he, she is going to give birth to Jesus who's going to save their people from their sins, which means he's the Messiah, he's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords. And Joseph is told, I want you to marry Mary. And Joseph remarkably sleeps through the night and wakes up in the morning and decides in the morning to deal with it. Can I just say, like, typical man, okay? Like, no, one, no point in the middle of the night he goes, man, this is amazing. He's like, he just rolls over and goes back to sleep, right? And when he wakes up, he deals with it. But here's what's really amazing, the second thing, right? He, he immediately obeys the Lord. Amen. He says, I will immediately get somebody, marries Mary. He takes her as his wife, and he knows this is going to come at a cost to his reputation. Sorry, Taylor Swift. <laughs> kind of funny. Okay, you guys, old people don't understand. All right, here we go. For Mary and Joseph, like this is shrouded in scandal. This for Mary and Joseph is not easy obedience. And the only way that this story holds up through the generations is unless is if the hand of the Lord is upon this story. Amen. This is scandal for Mary and Joseph. And the angel of the Lord announces to Joseph that, listen, the Jesus, he's gonna, you're going to call him Jesus, which, by the way, means to save. He's sent to save the people from their sins. And so I just want you to think about this for a minute. If this is indeed Jesus, and as we, uh, we, we lit the middle candle, we call it the Christ candle, Jesus Christ. Christ is not a last name. Christ is a title. It means the anointed one, this special one sent from God. If this is indeed the Savior, the special one sent from God, if this is indeed the King of kings, if this is indeed the one on which Isaiah said the government would rest upon his shoulders, if this is indeed, I think someone yelled out, peace, the one who's going to bring peace on earth. I mean, we are talking world peace here. How great would world peace be today? Right? So if this is indeed the one that's bringing world peace, isn't it a little scandalous that he gets such a small entrance, such a small announcement? 
There's scandal even around the entrance, point number two, the entrance of a king. Because when a king enters, a king enters with pomp and ceremony. A king enters with powerful political figures subservient to them, surrounding them. A king enters with an army so that everyone knows the might of this particular king. A king enters to the applaud of many, but our king, the son of God, he he enters and Joseph and Mary each get a dream and an angel and shepherds by the countryside get an announcement from some angels. By the way, a shepherd is like the worst job you could have in that day and age. It's the job that when your kids are growing up, you don't encourage them to get that job. Okay? You say, you know, you want some other job. He appears to the lowly shepherds and they show up at the barn needing a shower. Our Savior was born in a barn. Can I just tell you that phrase, born in a barn, is a very triggering phrase for me. My dad used to yell that at me. Anybody else have that? What are you, born in a barn? Anybody ever heard that? That never meant something good, okay? Like it meant like a door was left open, a window was left open. You're basically saying you're not much smarter than the animals, okay? That's what you're yelling at your children. Well, I probably yelled at my kids, my kids too. So, what are you, born in a barn? But our Savior was born in a barn. And, and the, the scandal of the circumstances went with him through life. I don't know if you realize this. In John chapter 8, Pastor Andrew quoted John chapter 8, verse 12, when we lit the candle and he said, Jesus is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, Jesus is arguing with the Jews that he's the only way to connect with their creator, And the Jews are saying, no way. And he keeps arguing with them. And finally, they say this to Jesus. Check this out, by the way. This has everything to do with Christmas and her birth, and the birth of Christ and Mary and Joseph. In John chapter 8, as they're arguing with Jesus, Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world, the only way God. It says, the Jews, John 8, 8, 41 says, they said to him, we were not born in sexual immorality. Here's what they're saying. Born of a virgin. Yeah, right, wink, wink. We know what really went on with your parents. This is scandal. But our king, church, is a humble king. Paul talks about the entrance of the king, the birth of Christ in theological terms in Philippians chapter 2 when he says this about Jesus. He says, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And by the way, for added emphasis, what does Paul say next? Even what? Why does he say that? Because dying on a cross is one of the most brutal, horrible ways that humanity has ever devised for someone to die. And so Paul's saying not only to become obedient to the point of death, it was even death on a cross. This is a scandalous entrance for our king. The third thing I want you to see is the scandal of the forgiveness of sins. The third scandal I want you to see out of the story is the scandal of forgiveness of sins. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she will bear a son... This is the angel of the Lord announcing to Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Letter A, the first thing I want you to see, Jesus came on purpose. Jesus came on purpose. Jesus came with his mind 
fixed on something that his heavenly father wanted him to accomplish. By the way, I want you to notice what the passage doesn't say. You see, the Jews had an expectation that Jesus was going to come because he's the Messiah. If God's going to send the Messiah, he's gonna, the Messiah's going to throw off this Roman government and government tyranny and government oppression. That's why the Jews were so disillusioned with Christ. They had in their mind that Jesus came for a different purpose. By the way, our culture does that too. Lots of people get this confused. In fact, I would even tell you lots of churches get this confused. We, we try really hard here at Coastal not to confuse the purpose for which Jesus came, and we try to preach the message for which Jesus came. Because a lot of people say, well, why did, if Jesus came, if God said, so why didn't he just wipe out poverty? Why didn't he just, you know, all the social injustices that we're facing in our culture and, and across the world, why didn't Jesus come and fix racial and cultural and financial and political injustices? The reason Christ did not come for that purpose is those are symptoms of our greatest problem. Jesus came to fix our biggest problem. The Bible says that you and I have a sin problem. We have violated, I love that one of the children said, man, what do you want to give Jesus? He said, my obedience. See, we, we can't obey God. We have violated, through our disobedience to God, we violated his character, his laws. We do things our own way, and when we do that, we are declaring that our creator, we're telling our creator, I'm going to be in charge, not you. Because I know better than you. Don't tell me how to date. Don't tell me how to use my money. Don't tell me what purity looks like. Don't tell me about... I'll do it my way. And the Bible calls this sin and church, it is mutiny against our creator. And what our sin actually deserves in the presence of God is his wrath and his punishment. But God is a gracious God. And he's patient, and he's slow to anger, and he's full of grace, and he's full of mercy. So what did God do? He gave us his very best gift. He sent Jesus to save us from our sin. And that's your biggest problem, and it's my biggest problem. And you want to hear something really, really cool? If you take care of the sin problem, all the other symptoms of sin will clear up and go away. Y'all with me? And so what does God require then to forgive sin? What does God require to forgive sin? Number one, because God demands justice, he requires a sinless payment. There has to be a sinless payment. This is why we must hold to the biblical teaching of the miracle of God of the virgin birth. We have to have a savior for Jesus to save us from sin. He couldn't have the stain and the sin of Adam that is passed on to all of us. That's why he needed to be conceived by the Holy Spirit so that he didn't have a sin nature like you and me. Amen. We need a sinless payment. Jesus being born of a virgin is an inexplicable miracle that is essential to our salvation and is essential to Jesus being a sufficient savior. By the way, did you know that the Bible teaches that you don't have to be good to go to heaven? Isn't that great news? 
You don't have to be good to go to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. I think if you ask most people, how do you get to heaven? Most people say, well, you, of course, you have to be good to go to heaven. I got really good news for you. The Bible doesn't teach that you have to be good to go to heaven. The Bible teaches you have to be perfect to go to heaven. And no one here thinks they're perfect. And if you do think you're perfect, it probably shows you're still single and not married yet. <sighs> so what does God require to forgive sins? First of all, he requires a, a sinless payment. Number two, he, he requires a sufficient sacrifice. Behind every manger scene is the shadow of the cross. The payment for our sin reminds us of, a whole, of the holy character of God. Sin requires a payment because of we worship the God who is and not the God that we want to make up. And the God who is is holy and he's sinless. And so he requires a sufficient sacrifice. If he just simply waved his hands and forgave sin, it would, he would not be a just God. It, there's a justice piece to the forgiveness of sin. Number three, what does God require for forgiveness of sin? He requires, number three, the defeat of sin's consequences. According to the Bible, when we disobey God and do things our own way, it earns us something. The Bible says this in Romans chapter six, the wage of sin is what? Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm so glad you're here, right? Merry Christmas. No, your sin has earned you something. The reason we all get a funeral is because we're all born into sin. And so to have a sufficient Savior requires a Savior that defeats sin's consequence. And the last enemy is of sin is death. So did Jesus die? Yes, because he took on sin, our sin. He wasn't in sin, but he took on our sin. So he endured the wage of sin. But here's what he did. He stepped out of his own grave victorious, holding the keys to hell and death in his hands, declaring that he is indeed a risen Savior. This is why the Apostle Paul, in mocking tone, in 1 Corinthians 15, says, O death, where where is your sting? And oh, grave, where is your victory? Christ has the keys to hell and death. Amen. Amen. Amen? He defeated sin's consequence. And now, number four, we have a response. Our response to God's gift of salvation. God requires for the righteousness of Christ, which I'm going to come back to, how we can be perfect to go to heaven in a minute. God requires us to respond to this gospel, this good news of his giving of his son. The first part of the response is a word we use here at church. It's called repent. The word repent literally means a 180 degree turn. It means I'm going this way, but I'm going to turn and go this way. The idea of repentance is I recognize that I've been doing things my own way and it's mutiny against Almighty God. And God now, through this incredible day that you're here, is hearing the, the message of Jesus. He is giving me the opportunity to repent and turn towards Him. And so we repent. And then the Bible says we have to believe. And what is it that we believe? It's not faith in faith. It's not believe in whatever you want to. It's believe that Jesus Christ is indeed God's rescue plan for our soul. 
So I, rep- I go, you know what? I'm done doing things my way because it got me into a mess anyway. I'm going to repent. I'm going to believe that Jesus is indeed God's rescue plan. And then number three, I'm going to receive Christ into my heart and life. God come in through Christ and change me from the inside out. At Coastal, we use one word to describe what I just talked to you about. The word is gospel. And the word gospel actually has a two-word meaning. The word gospel means what? Some of you guys know it. Let's shout it out together. It means good news. See, the bad news is our sin deserves something. It deserves the wrath of God. But the good news is God, Jesus, by God, by grace and mercy, stepped in and sent his son that we might not have to bear the wrath of our sin on ourselves, but indeed Christ can bear it for us. Everybody with me? I read a story recently of a young boy at Christmas time, a couple weeks before Christmas, uh, had a bunch of gifts that he really wanted for Christmas. And so he decided to write a letter to God asking for these Christmas gifts that he so desperately wanted. He's got a piece of paper out, got his mom's best piece of letterhead, gets a pen out and he writes, Dear God, I have been a good boy now for six months. And he looked at that and he knows God knows everything. And he wanted these gifts so bad. And he knew that wasn't true. And he knew he couldn't fake it with God, so he crossed out six And he wrote, dear God, I've been a good boy now for two months. Man, he wanted these Christmas gifts. And he knew he couldn't fake it with God. And he knew that wasn't true. So he crossed out two months. He wrote, dear God, I've been a good boy now for two weeks. And then he thought about how he had gotten in an argument, disobeyed his mom that morning. Man, he wanted these Christmas gifts so bad. Not knowing what to do, he finally thought about it for a minute. He got up, pushed back from the table where he's writing the letter. He walks over to uh, the uh, coffee table where his parents have the nativity scene set up for Christmas time. And he looks down and he sees the figurines of Joseph and Mary. And he reaches into that nativity set and he picks up the figurine of Mary and he slaps it on the table next to his letter and he gets back next to the letter that he's writing. And he says, dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> now, he, here's what I love about that story. Some people still getting it, guys. Let's let them. Just kidding. Here's what I love about the story. If we're really, really honest, and if we drill down far enough, Like if we strip back all the charades we like to put on for people, we know, we know that our hearts and our souls are far from God. We know, we know, we know, we know we don't naturally want to do things God's way, but we naturally want to do things our own way. If we're really, really honest, we know we can't be good even for a few moments. I can't even drive home without losing my temper. So, Final point this morning, and I'll close it with prayer. It's not on your note sheet. Here's the real scandal of Christmas. The real scandal of Christmas is we might peer into the manger scene and fail to count the cost of the grace and forgiveness that God has given us to Jesus. Free to you and me, but a high cost to God himself. 
The Apostle Paul said this about Christmas. Now, this isn't a Christmas story, but this gives us what really is going on at the Christmas story. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul said this, for our sake, he made him, Christ, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become, what's it say, church? The righteousness of God. Here's what that means. You ready? That means in Christ, we get credited righteousness. Some of you are like, I don't know what any of these words mean. Here's what it means. In Christ, all of the perfect works of Christ get credited to your spiritual bank account by grace through faith through the person and the work of Jesus. You have to be perfect to go to heaven. And since nobody's perfect, we're all in trouble unless we peer into the manger and say, I need a Savior. Jesus is my Savior who God made to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might get the perfect works of God credited to us by grace through faith so that one day we can stand in the presence of God and say, the only reason I belong in heaven is because you said, if I believe in Jesus, his perfection is gifted to me by grace through faith. You got to be perfect to go to heaven. And the only way you're going to get there is in Christ. Amen? Amen. So this morning, I'm going to pray a simple prayer in just a minute, but man, it could have eternal impact. Because here's the deal. This is a story of scandalous grace. You do not have to bear the weight of your own sin. You don't have to save yourself. You don't have to muster up your own strength to get through life and be good. You don't have to earn God's favor. You don't have to work for God's good graces. You don't have to take Jesus's mother hostage to be in right standing before God. Grace and forgiveness and a brand new start with your creator is offered right here on Christmas Eve. It's offered right now through the person and work of Jesus. He lived a life you can't. He died a substitutionary death that you deserve. He defeated sin's consequence by raising from the grave, and his perfect works of righteousness can be gifted to you by grace alone, through faith alone. So let me encourage you this Christmas Eve to peer into the manger scene and see the mysterious, miraculous, scandalous grace of God gifted to us in the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That is gospel. That is good news. So here's what I want to do. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you got drug here today. Like you did, you know, you're visiting a loved one and they said, we're going to church. You said just not eight (laughs) o'clock. And as we're talking, God's stirring in you. I want to give you an opportunity to do business with Almighty God. I'm going to pray a prayer. God knows our hearts, He knows our minds. I want you to follow along with me. There's nothing magic in the prayer, but man, there's just an opportunity to do business with your creator. You can pray this, God, this morning, I acknowledge my sin this morning on Christmas Eve. I've looked into the manger and I see the scandal of your grace. Your grace free to me, but cost you everything. It cost you giving your very best gift, your son, Jesus. And so this morning, I recognize that by sending your son, he paid for my sin and my forgiveness by living a life 
that I can't, dying a death that I deserve, and then overcoming the grave, and now offering me real and eternal life. And so today, God, I start a new journey, a new life with a new heart made alive by the power of your spirit, by the power of God in me. I trust Jesus, my Savior, your rescue plan, my King. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, I'll tell you what, if you prayed that this morning, I would love to know that. There's one way you can let me know. You can use the tear off and drop it in the box. Give me your name. Say, I prayed with you, Pastor Sean. Give us your phone number. One of our pastors will follow up with you. Or you can come pray with one of our prayer team members. It'll be up on the screen after the service. Man, we'd love to know you're following Jesus fresh and new.